I just wanted to take a moment to pause and to pray. Uh, the busyness and excitement of the holiday season is now over, and it's just so easy to go back to the same routine that we are so used to doing uh, with ever, without ever pausing to reflect and just remain in awe at the reality that God became flesh in the person of Jesus to come near to us, to move in, right, to dwell among us, and to just be with you and I. And so as we embark in this new year, let us go to God in prayer. So would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, we do have direct access to you. And we thank you that you see all, you know all, and you still choose to be near us. Thank you for the unconditional and overflowing love that you give so freely to us. And Lord, you know what we all face. You know our hearts, you know our challenges, our worries, our fears, and our joys. And so we come to you trusting you with all that we are and all that we have. We thank you that you are our shepherd and that in you we lack nothing. Thank you for making us lie down in green pastures and leading us beside still waters. And thank you that no matter what may happen in this life, you promise us that you indeed will restore and refresh our soul. Help us not to forget you and help us to make you Lord over every area of our lives. And as we start this new year, I thank you that it is a tangible reminder that you are a God who is in the business of making things new. And so, Lord, make us new, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will ever will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, you may be seated. Yeah, you can give it to Naya. Thanks, Lindsay. Well, uh, let me add a, a welcome to you as well. Good morning. My name is Tim, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I'm glad to have you with us, especially as we uh, jump into a new series, um, Simply Different, um, kind of three weeks in the, the Gospel of Luke. Um, and so with that, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into the passage that, uh, that Lindsay read for us. Let's pray. Uh, Father, there is, there's a lot going on um, in this passage, and 
And I pray that with all that's happening and all we're going to look at this morning, God, you, you just help us to see primarily Jesus is inviting us to his feast. He wants us to feast with him. And God, would you, would you help us to see that and to believe that and to receive that invitation? I ask, pray, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, ask anyone how they're doing, and there's a good chance they're going to tell you that busy is in the answer. That we're a busy culture. We like being busy. We try to stay busy. But why? The people in the 1930s, when they saw uh, all the technological advancements that were happening around them, they assumed that in the future, uh, like our day, that we'd have such great technology that like, we'd only have to work three hours a day. And so British economist John Maynard Keynes actually, uh, he said that. He said, in, in the future, people uh, are only going to have to work three hours a day because technology is going to be uh, so amazing. And he, he was half right. Now, over the holidays, uh, all three of my boys uh, got sick, like flu sick. They were throwing up the whole deal. And that meant that like, we just had all kinds of laundry to do. The, the amount of, of clothes, of sheets, of socks, of shoes, of children that we washed um, in that time was just quite, quite stunning. And uh, without a washer and dryer, I don't know how we would have even like made any of that happen, how my wife in particular would have made any of that um, happen. And that even just kind of thinking through that, it raised a serious question I've been thinking about, which um, is how do, you, how do you wash a shirt without a washing machine? Um, does anyone, I have no idea how to do that. Um, because a, a washing machine has always been there for me, and a washing machine this week uh, saved me several hours. Like, I could have taken a month vacation, and we still would have had laundry left to finish without a washing machine. It saved us countless, countless hours. Or think about, um, think about if I wanted to find out what, what did a British economist think about technological advancement in the 1930s. Say I wanted to do that in 1930. Well, what I'd have to do is I'd get up, I'd walk to the library... Um, I'd go to the card catalog. Um, you guys remember these? Kids, this is, uh, this is what Google was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, and, and like search through thousands of different cards to find John Maynard Keynes and then go to what he wrote, the, the, you know, the encyclopedia or his works, read for hours and maybe find a quote that was relevant for my sermon um, this morning. Uh, this week I Googled why are we so busy and was done in two minutes. Right? Technology, it, it has saved us so much time, which means um, the reason we're busy, the reason you're busy is not, it's not to survive, right? You're not going to spend like 60 hours this week hunting squirrels so that your children can eat. That's not, that's not how your week is going to go. Technology has meant amazing uh, advancement for us. The, the t- technology we enjoy, our phones, our cars, um, our computers, the internet, it will save you hundreds of hours this week. And so if that's true, why, why are we so busy? Why do we feel like uh, Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings? I love this line. I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. That why, with, with all of the, tech, the technology available to us, why are we like butter scraped so thin? And what we want to do, we want to spend three weeks as a church just kind of letting Jesus answer that question, because I think when it comes to our attention, um, to our money, to our time, we, we're thin. We're, spread, we're trying to spread too much over too little. And as we start the series, three weeks, I just, will you let Jesus speak to that? Even if you're not a Christian, are you curious what Jesus thinks about your time, especially your most precious resource? 
And so that's what we want to do in this parable is look at how Jesus is thinking about our commitments, our time. And, and kind of do, look at this parable in, in, three, in three ways. One is to look at the feast that we're offered. Um, two, to understand why we reject it. And three, um, to understand the only way we can receive it, the only way we can have it. So first, the, the feast uh, we, are, we are offered. And in verse 15, uh, where Lindsay started reading for us, we're sort of jumping into the middle of a conversation, middle of a, of a, of a story, of a setting. And what's happened is Jesus, he's feasting with people. There's a banquet. There's a party that's been thrown. Jesus is there. And Jesus has just encouraged all of the people at his banquet to, when they throw banquets, not just to throw banquets and invite people who are, are rich and who invite and enhance their social standing and make them look better, but also to invite the poor and the lame and the beggar, those who are forgotten in society, that when they, like their lives should enhance others' reputations and status, not, they shouldn't throw feasts just to enhance their own status. And so he, he makes this point, and when he's done making this point, um, this religious guy pipes up and says something that has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus just said. And what he see pipes up, you know, Jesus finishes, like, invite the poor into your life. And this guy says, yeah, blessed, blessed are those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Essentially what he says is, I'm lucky because I'm in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus uh, looks at this guy and he tells him a story. And he's doing two things with the story and the people listening at this feast. The first thing he's doing is sort of undermining what the guy has just said. But we'll get to that later. Where I want to start is he is actually affirming that the man's right, that the kingdom of God is a feast. I want to pause and I want to highlight that because I think often the church has communicated the kingdom of God or life with God as, as a drudgery or is like, you know, heaven is like we play, you know, harps on clouds or the kingdom of God is religious people frowning and looking down at other people. Like that's, that's what the kingdom, but it's not Jesus. For Jesus, the kingdom of God is a feast. And that theme is all over the Bible. You can't read very long in the Bible without getting to that theme. And so in the book of Isaiah, this is a really prominent theme. Um, Isaiah 25, 6 in particular, when God was describing to his people what salvation was going to be like for them, the salvation they hadn't yet tasted, but what life with him was like, what, what salvation with him was like, here's how God described it. On this mountain, speaking of the temple, like where God dwelled, on this mountain of the Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Right? Life with God, it's a feast, and it's the best drink, and it's the best food. And that, Jesus had that spirit about him as well as he walked about um, the earth, that, that Jesus was called by religious people who just wanted to frown on other people, that he's a drunk and he's a glutter and he drinks too much, he, he parties too much, he eats too much. A, a good religious person wouldn't do what Jesus, he, he associates with the wrong types of people. And if you remember, even Jesus' own first miracle in John 2 was turning water into wine. And when you actually press into that miracle, all that meant was that a wedding wasn't going to end early because they ran out of drink. It's like Jesus' first public miracle is don't keep the party rocking, essentially. Like that's the first miracle is don't let this party stop early. And then when you get to the end of the Bible, to the new heavens, new earth, and what we're invited into, it, Jesus, uh, or, or the, an angel speaks to John who sees this, and this is what the angel says to John. The angel said to me, to John, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these, were, these are the true words of God. Um, that Jesus' primary motivation in his ministry was to convince people he had a feast and for those people to come. And you go to even Luke 4, uh, 
that, that's sort of Jesus' introduction into ministry in, in Luke's story. And the whole point of that story is Jesus is saying, I have good news. I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's welcome. I've come to proclaim a feast, and you're invited. And so I don't think it's, it's an overstatement to say that, that Jesus wants you to believe that he has a feast, and he wants you to come. I know you're hearing that and thinking, oh, well, hold on, I thought this was a sermon on time. What does a feast have to do um, with time? But here, before we get, that, get to that, you have to understand, Jesus starts where this guy is, which is, Yes, the kingdom of God is a feast. Life with God is a celebration. It's a banquet. It's joy. You have to get that before you were ever able to take the next step. You have to understand that's where Jesus starts. But now, okay, that's, that's point one. What, this is the feast Jesus offers us. But second, why, why do we reject it? And one thing to understand the story, we have to understand how invitations or banquets worked um, in that day, which was you would send out a first invitation to sort of let everyone know, listen, there's a feast. I'm going to throw a feast. There's going to be great food. Will you come? And, and then you received who was going to come and who wasn't. And the reason you needed that is in that day, um, you know, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. They didn't have gas-powered ovens. So they couldn't, uh, they couldn't prepare a feast or save it quickly like, like you or I um, could. It's, it's very... Um, you know, it, it took time. It took preparation. And so you'd send the first invitation out. Everyone would say yes or no. And then you had your numbers. And then when the feast was ready, the food was done, then you told people, okay, come now. And so as Jesus is telling this story, he's at the come now part. It's ready. The, feast is, the, food, is, the food is cooked. It's ready. Come and, and eat it. And in Jesus' story, this is where everything starts to fall apart. The food's ready. Everyone who said they're going to come now starts to get told, come and and they don't. And they give a few reasons. The first guy backs out for, for work-related reasons. He just purchased a field, and now he needs to go and look at it. Which, of course, if you think about like anything about purchasing fields, um, this makes no sense. Uh, that is, some, like as a church, right, we're looking at potentially buying a piece of property, and like we're going to know everything about that piece of land before we ever give any money towards it. You don't buy a piece of field and be like, oh, I'll give you the money now, I'll go look at it later. No, you don't. that's not how it works. Like This excuse makes no sense. The second uh, guy has an excuse about money, which is he buys five oxen and he's got to go inspect them, which again doesn't make sense. But if you were to buy five oxen in that day, I would assume you had a lot of money because if you, if you needed five oxen to work your field, it meant you had a lot of land to work. It meant you were wealthy. So it's like, I need to go, I need to go uh, um, look at my investment. But again, you don't buy five oxen without, without looking on them. Or looking at them. And the third, th- third excuse is relationships, which is a guy who says, well, I just got married, I can't come. And and again, the guy would have already said yes, knowing marriage and the feast were, were coming. This shouldn't have been a surprise. He said yes to the feast, knowing he'd be married, and yet now he's backing out. And so what is Jesus trying to do here? What is he, what's, he, what's his point? And there's a, there's a tension here, which is on the one hand, like no one rejects this invitation for bad, for bad motives or reasons. Right? No one's like, hey, there's a guy, i got to go murder him, and so I can't come to the feast. Right? It's not, it's not ba- they're not doing bad things. They're doing good things. They're going to work. They're tending to their marriage. They're, they're working, uh, checking out their, their wealth. And so this is good. These are good reasons. And now I'm ready to say something about, about time, finally. Because of most of the technolo- technological advances you and I get to experience and get to live with, most of the choices that we make about our time and about our calendars, they're not about bad things or good things. They're not about survival or death. Rather, they're, they're, all, they're mostly good things. Most of our, our busyness, our stress, our overcommittedness, it's because 
we want to, we want to, right, we want to care for our families. We want to have, we want to have enough money to take care of our needs. We want to uh, do good work and, and, and be a good employee to, to those we work for. We want to have a good, good relationships, good friendships, good marriage. They're good, they're all good reasons. And yet, at the same time, they also reveal misplaced priorities. Those are all good things, but when they, when they keep you from the feast, when they keep you from Jesus, they're not good things. And what Jesus is saying is, is when it comes to following him, he's not interested in your intentions. He's interested in being your priority, to being first. But Jesus is saying there are people who will intend to be a part of the kingdom of God, who will see that it, what it is and see what I'm offering and want to come. But when it to- comes time to come, they can't and they won't. And when it comes time to eat the bread of the kingdom of God, like this guy pipes up with, they won't go eat because they're too busy, their priorities are misplaced. And to sort of to bring this out further, um, when I was a pastor in Indiana, uh, there was a, a couple I really loved, an older couple, couple their names were um, Buddy and Beverly. So like already you've got this great older couple in your head with those names, right? Those are perfect, perfect names. And they were so hospitable. Anytime I went over um, to their house, Beverly would just try to fatten me up and feed me everything she'd cooked in the last week. And she was always cooking something, always cooking pies too. And, and her pies were so good. Like you would eat them even if you were like, oh, I don't like cherry pie, but you made that cherry. I'll eat that. I'm just going to, I'm going to find out because you're such a good cook. And so they're incredibly hospitable people. I loved talking to them. And I remember one um, one time, they're toward the end of their life, and, and a lot of times, you know, that was sort of what we would talk about, just kind of reflecting on where they had been and, and who they were. And I remember one time, I was talking to Buddy, and he, ha- he, just, he was talking to me about, um, you know, raising his kids and the decision he had made and how much regret he had had um, with it. That he had said, you know, when I, when I was younger, I had a boat, and, you know, basically from April to, to September, uh, you know, August, uh, we were at the lake every weekend, so my kids wouldn't go to church for, for five, six months. Um, at a time, and I look back on that, that now, and and I regret that. That that had huge implications and huge cost on my family that I, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand at the time. And just seeing him tell me this story, it, I still remember. I can picture his face, him telling me this. And I want to be clear: like I'm not anti-boat. I'm I'm very pro-boat. And if you want to test me on that, I would love to come spend time on your boat with you. Um, if you want, would like to know, I'm not anti-boat. But what 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 that story reveals it's it's just it's one choice. That had massive implications that weren't that weren't thought off and or thought out, and, and his regret that he missed the priority of his life. He missed what came first. And I, listen, I think the same is going to be true for you. Listen, if you're at some point going to wake up and find you're not going to the feast, it's not going to be because you woke up one day and decided. I'm going to be really evil and do really evil things and be a really bad person. Um, it's, I hate Jesus. It's not going to be that. It's going to be it's it's going to be death by paper cuts. I don't know if that speaks to you like it does to me right now with, with how dry the air is. Like I read a book and I just, I cut myself like almost any time I read a book now. It's just like paper cuts are really painful, but they don't do a lot of damage unless like a lot of them happen to you. And I, I think that's what's going on in the story is that over time, good things again and again went out priority and it's, de- it's death by paper cuts. And one day you wake up and Jesus is like, it's time to come. It's, the feast is ready and you can't go. You, your priorities have shifted and you didn't, you didn't know it. It was death by Death by paper cuts. And yeah, yes, there are people who hate Jesus and wake up one day and want to have nothing to do with him or Christians maybe, but far more what I find is over time, Christians are like, I don't, I can't pray anymore. I can't remember. And the reason is they've made thousands of choices 
that have displaced Jesus as priority, and now they're reaping the benefits of that, of the cost. That's why as a church, right, New Year, it's a new time to think through, okay, what are what does your calendar look like? What does your time commitments look like? Is Jesus first? Are you ready to go to his feast? Are you ready to receive his invitation? So I want to I go there a little bit practically. Uh, what, is it, what does that look like to make him your priority? Because what, what I'm not saying is like you need to become a monk and pray all the time or read your Bible all the time and go to church all the time. It probably means some of those things need to be more prioritized in your calendar, but that's not, that's not what this sermon is. The sermon is more how, what in your context does it look like for Jesus to be your priority. So I want to think about three things together. First, um, if you're going to do this, at least name your good, but let's be real bad, excuse or excuses. Um, now that I've buttered us up, right, we've talked, well, listen, they're good reasons, work and, and relationships, all those are good things. Now that I've buttered us up a little bit, let's, let's be real. These excuses these people give are, are bad, and Jesus, in his brilliant storytelling way, he kind of lures you in. Oh, it's work, it's relationships. Yeah, those are understandable reasons. But when you dig beneath the surface, like who buys a field without going and looking at it? Who, who commits to a lot, uh, something and gets married and then just gives up on it, knowing they were going to be married? You push in and it's like, wait a minute, like this doesn't make, this doesn't make any sense. And I think, I think similarly in our own, sort of the, the things that make Jesus sort of displaced is most important. They seem good on the surface until you like actually have to speak them and say them and own them then it's like, oh, that's pretty bad. So I'll go first. Um, over the holidays, I just had a really terrible rhythm of, um, of prayer, which is, is important for me and my work. And, and, and the reason is because um, Netflix uh, has released a ton of stand-up comedy specials. Um, and I love, I love watching stand-up comedies, one, because I always need to laugh probably more than I do. And, and two, it actually, stand-up comedy is really helpful for me. It's someone who has to talk in front of people all the time. Um, it's helpful to see how the people... Um, how do people do that? And so over the holidays, I just watched a lot of those. And if Jesus had come to me and last week during the holidays and said, Tim, um, the feast is ready, come, uh, my excuse would have been to Jesus, uh, please excuse me, I, I need to watch three hours of stand-up comedy tonight, most of which I will not laugh at. Right? When you put that on the table, that's pretty pathetic and it hurts. And my, get, my bet is if you... If you were to put down why, why you're not praying, why it's hard for you to read your Bible, why church is an infrequent part of, of your... The, if you actually own it, it's not going to sound as compelling as it does in the moment. And so what is death by paper cuts? For you own it, write it down, name it. That's first. Uh, second, as you think about your calendars, you think about your time, what you give your time to, start, start with Why? And one person who's been helping me in my own thinking lately is, is a guy named Simon Sinek. He's not, he's not a Christian, but I think, I think what he says is really relevant to what Jesus is getting at here in, in the parable, which is, is everything, like your time should start with, like, why? And, and what he means, he means this, this is sort of a snippet of his thought. Um, Very few people or companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, cause, or belief. Why do you get out of bed every morning? It's a great question to ask yourself. Why, especially on a day like today, like it's rainy and nasty, like days for today like are made for not getting out of bed. So why did you get out of bed? Why did you come to church today? Start with, with why. Because I think a lot of times, at least for me, like commitments come that make sense, they're good. And, and so I say, I say yes without, without thinking, okay, what's the why? Like why, why did I get up this morning? What, what kind of life has Jesus called me to 
Is my life defined by the fact that I'm invited to a feast by the Son of God? And everything, everything gets, gets crowded into that reasoning. Right? Every, that's, that's, the first, that's why I'm getting out of bed today. Is someday when I get out of bed, I'm, the day's going to end with me at the feast with Jesus. That's why I'm getting out of bed. And if that's true, what, what commitments should I make? Should I not make? And again, listen, I'm not saying that means, you know, you're going to pray all the time, read your Bible all the time. No, I think, I think it changes the way you think about going to work. The way you, you inha- what is Jesus calling you to be in your own vocation, in your own workplace? What, what kind of work is he calling you to? I think parents in particular, it means what kind of activities are your kids involved in? What do you need to say no to to protect space that, that faith in Christ is most important to them? Start with, start with a calendar with nothing on it. Put Jesus as your priority and then go, then go from there. And there might be some things you have to quit, give up, turn away from. But before you start filling in your calendar, start with why, your priority. Because if you don't, the priorities are just going to come to you and they're going to crowd out. And one day the invitation is going to come and you're going to miss it. And so what would a week where God is most important to you look like? What, what, what would be scheduled? What, where would you go? What would you do? Who would you talk to? So start with why, um, name your, your good excuses, and thirdly, examine your calendar. And in particular, ask yourself this question, which is, are your priorities the priorities of Jesus? And now we're kind of ready, we're ready for the meat of this passage. So remember kind of what, what, what's happened here, what I walked us through earlier. Jesus, he's at a feast with a bunch of people, they're eating together, um, and he's told them, listen, when you throw a feast, you should also invite the poor and those who are forgotten, those who won't raise your social status, um, to come and eat with you. And then a, guy, a religious guy pipes up, blessed Blessed is me, who will eat with God in the kingdom of, of God. And, and Jesus then tells a story, and he tells a story where um, everyone who's invited to the feast and said yes doesn't come. It says no. And then God, or the, the master of the feast, who is, who is God, goes out and finds anyone who's willing to come, anyone who's willing to be a part of the feast. And so, so Jesus, a part of the main point of this whole parable he's telling is to to reemphasize the point he just made, which is when you throw feasts, invite the poor, invite those who are forgotten in society, that your life shouldn't just be about raising your own status, but it should be about finding and announcing the good news of the feast to all around you. That should be a priority for you. And, and, and what that means is, is, listen, starting with our own calendars, it, if this is a priority to Jesus, it should be a priority to us. Is it a priority to you to see the poor and the vulnerable and the marginalized lifted up? Their status lifted up because you are inviting them into your life, into your, your house, into to feast with them. All right, and this, this is where I'm deeply convicted. My calendar doesn't reflect that. And then you go, again, start with why. Start with Jesus. This is a priority to him. Is it a priority to you? And as you look through your life, as you look through your calendar, is, are the priorities of Jesus your own priorities? Because, listen, your time... It's your most precious resource. And what you do with it is probably an indication of what your priority in life is. And does your priority reflect the priorities of Jesus? So as you look at your calendars, you start this year. Do your priorities reflect Jesus' priorities? Start with why. Start with him as your, your priority to life. And, and name what's keeping you from it. But, but here's the thing. You can do all those things I just said and still, still not actually go to the feast. Right, it's pretty ironic. This guy is at a feast eating with Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is eating bread in the kingdom of God in this moment, and he doesn't see it. 
Like he's literally eating bread with the Messiah. And he's like, yeah, someday I'll be in the kingdom of God and then I'll be blessed. And Jesus is like, the whole point of the story, like Jesus, you're already here. You're already eating with me. You don't see it. You've missed it. Because your life isn't reflecting the life or the priorities of God. You've crowded me out. You're actually at the feast, but you haven't come. And so how do we be people who don't do that? Right? You're at, you're, listen, you're at church right now. You're, you're, you want to receive Jesus' invitation. Don't be like this guy. So how do we actually receive this feast? How do we actually enjoy it? And in Jesus' story, have to, again, everyone who, who actually got the first invitation, they all say no. And so the master, he has a feast ready. He has food ready. And so he says, listen, to his servants, get anyone who's willing to come to come. And he goes out to the poor and to the vulnerable and to the marginalized. And, and in particular, I love the last sentence where he says, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. And at first thought, that sounds a little, like, a little aggressive. Like, would you mean, like, grab them and, like, like kidnap them into the camp? Like, what does that mean? And... And here's what I think this means. At first, the highways are, like, that's where, I mean, think about in our own day. Who lives on the highways? That's the homeless. It's the most vulnerable among us. And hedges were sort of leaned, you know, sort of leaned to shacks where they would live uh, along highways. And the, the master has said, go to that place. Go to, the, you know, in our own day, go to the overpasses, underpasses, and, and find, find the forgotten and invite them in, into the feast. And here's, the, listen, here's the reality. You find someone like that and you say, come and eat at my house. I have a rich meal prepared for you, and they're not going to believe it. Society doesn't work that way. Those people aren't invited into those homes. And so when, when the master says compel them, he says, do whatever you have to do to convince them this invitation is real. Right? You, they're invited. Come and feast. And until, until you understand the real point of this parable is that Jesus is saying, you are the, the poor and the marginalized, and the, spiritually speaking, you are needy and you are hungry and you are starving. Until you understand that, that you're, our anxiety, right, the fact that we're butter spread too thin, all of that is a signal, it's a warning. You're constructing your life in a way that's not, it's not full of rich food or fullness of life. Your anxiety, your, your busyness, your frettedness, it's a sign you're not receiving the real feast. And what this parable is a reminder of is that, you, listen, we're the poor, Right, we're the needy. We're spiritually speaking, we're we're the weak. And in Jesus, he leaves the Father's side. He leaves the feast to come and, and to find us, to come into the highways and the hedges, to invite us in, to try to convince us this invitation is is for real. And until so you look around and you realize that's you, like that's me. We're living under the overpass, and the Son of God has come to invite us to real living, to real. Life and He is the one we are to follow. Until you see this, the Son of God, who has the feast, has come to get you. Who has left His home, who has died to come to get you. Until you see that, and understand He wants you at the feast. We'll always have misplaced priorities. So listen, have better calendar practices, yes. But wake up every morning and know the Son of God came to get you, to die for you. He wants you. At his feast. No excuses. Come and feast. Let's pray. Father, I pray today, this, this, this morning, we would receive and hear that invitation. That God, there's probably a lot of us in here. Maybe it's busyness, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's just an emptiness, disappointment. God, the things we 
just kind of take over our priorities in life. God, they're not, they're not feasts. And so we want to we wanna leave kind of the self-made food we, we try to feed off. God, we want to leave our life under the underpass and, and come to you. Help us to believe the invitation. Compel us to come in, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.